This is an Emmaus Church podcast. For more information about Emmaus Church, please visit EmmausDenver.com. We have one announcement today, and that is Park Day is coming up. So Sunday, June 20th at Congress Park, we're going to meet at 1030. Food will be at 11, and we will be taking communion, eating that meal, and it will be a time of fun gathering. Please stand if you are able to hear Psalm 11. In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of man. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. It's like partly cloudy and only 85 today. It feels like a break after yesterday. All right. I'm also kind of excited about preaching uh, on seven verses and not two whole chapters. I feel like I've said that to everyone at this point. Um, but it's, uh, but yeah, I'm excited to get back into the Psalms. Uh, it's, uh, the Psalms have been super influential for me uh, in my, my own personal walk. Um, after being converted, I spent quite a bit of time uh, working through Calvin's commentary in the Psalms. I don't know why, I just stumbled upon it, uh, and it's, it's probably one of the best expositions of the Psalms uh, still today, and it's super practical, super points us to Christ. Um, yeah, and it's just a, it's just a wonderful wonderful book of the Bible to go through, so I'm excited for us to be able to spend some time in it over the next couple of months. I was talking to Ben, uh, not Mengi, uh, Ben that was here last week, uh, and a few weeks ago, Ben, uh, he said he really likes the Psalms, just, uh, it's one of his favorite books of the Bible because, because it spans the range of human emotions, and I feel like that's something we've kind of said as we've gone through the Psalms, but I think more than spanning the range of human emotions... Uh, the Psalms really spans the range uh, of human situations. Like we're just, we're just in different, uh, so many different situations that sort of bring those emotions out. And I feel like in the book of Psalms, we get a lot of different situations that, that we can relate to um, and that sort of speak to us how as people made in the image of God, as people that are united to Jesus, how we should respond to those situations uh, in a way that, that produces more joy, that produces more peace, um, that produces more love for our neighbor. And I, and I really like this psalm because I think the situation that is being addressed here is one that all of us can relate to in some way, shape, or form. We're going to talk about situations that we like to avoid. And, I'm, and we all have those situations. And as I thought about this, even as I worked through some of these different situations, and I, I want to give some examples. we got seven verses, so we got some time to think through um, some more application here. But I think all, 
it was fascinating to me as I think about the DNA groups that I'm in, as I think about counseling situations that I'm in, as I think about just conversations I've had with people in the church. I feel like in a very real sense, we all have like a little bit different, we all have a different kind of situation that we like to avoid. Uh, and and I, so I, I thought of a few and I, I kind of want to, you know, let's walk through them first because then, then we'll pray and then we'll jump into the, uh, jump into the passage. There's this, uh, me and, now it's sort of on my mind, so I have to say it. Me and Ben were talking about, like, when we stop to pray. Like, do we pray at the beginning, or do you introduce and then pray? And it just, like, sidetracks. Um, this is how you know I've had way too much coffee. <laughs> but we're, <laughs> we w- I do want to ask the Lord to help us um, consider this psalm this morning. So maybe that's a good sign uh, that I'm a little scatterbrained from the coffee. Let's, let's take a second. Let's ask the Lord for some help. Um, and then, then let's think about some situations we like to avoid, and then also the, the God that grounds us, uh, the God that enables us to really deal with those situations that we like to avoid. So let's, let's pray first. Father, thank you that you are enthroned in the heavens. Lord, thank you that Jesus is in the heavenly temple and has made propitiation for our sin. He's, he's, he's died on the cross. He's risen again. He is at the right hand of the Father. He is interceding on our behalf. And, and all of the things that we know in this world are just a shadow of what Christ is accomplishing in his resurrected body. Lord, I thank you for that reality that, that, that in every sense grounds us when we approach situations that we, that we often want to avoid, Lord. I pray that you would uh, give me a clarity of mind. I pray that you would help calm me, even though I probably drank too much of the blessing of delicious coffee that you provide, Lord. Um, I'm thankful that you, you sit enthroned and you use these things for your glory and you're building your kingdom through uh, broken vessels such as myself and even our family here. So we just ask your spirit to work, to open our eyes and help us consider this psalm this morning. In your name I pray, amen. All right, so I was thinking about situations that we like to avoid. And kind of the, the overarching uh, outline uh, for this passage is we're going to look at circumstances we, we flee or we avoid, and then we're going to look at the, the God that grounds us. So circumstances that we flee and avoid, and then the, the, the God that ultimately grounds us. And that's as we work through the passage, that's kind of what we're going to go through. But let's start with sort of just some situations that we avoid. And, and maybe I'll just be, I'll be honest about myself. I was like, I thought about this. And I was like, well, I'm pretty like jump into things. Like I like to jump into things. Um, so what do I really avoid? And, and what brings like stress points in my life? And, and what, what am I like not want to deal with? And I think the first thing I thought of was, was when, it's, when there isn't clarity. Like I really don't like situations where I don't know like the black and white right thing to do. Like I'd rather be like, I'd rather be like, man, this is, this is the right thing to do, but it's really hard. And I'm like, okay, well, at least I know it's the right thing to do. If you're like, these two options are easy, but I don't know which one is the best thing to do. I'm just like, ah, I don't like that situation. I don't want to be in those situations. And I think that drives me to like clarify things um, obsessively. Like, Aaron, you need to like work on your sermon. I'm like, yeah, but these other five things in the church are going on. I want to like solve all these. And I, don't, I just don't like to be in those kinds of situations. So I, so I work to avoid kind of areas where there's not clarity. That's, that's something that I generally, like, avoid. I like, it, I like things to be clear, or I like to force things to be clear. Uh, another thing that I thought, it, that I, as I talked to some people in the community, we, and this is, you know, this might come without saying, but 
but we try to avoid pain that comes from, from people that we love. Like, we're, we're close to people, and we love people, and, and sometimes the people that we love disappoint us, or sometimes the people that we love say something that's not considerate or hurt us, and so we do things to sort of avoid those situations. And, and, and I'm not saying that, that these, are, these are good things, but we're often God brings us into these situations that are completely outside of our control, and we are hurt by someone that we love or we're disappointed by someone that we love, and we, we go out of our way to sort of avoid that. Uh, and I think, that's, I think that's okay, but these are things that we avoid. Another one, I was talking to Bridget. Um, she tries hard to avoid things that are, are a surprise. <laughs> she is the most giving person, whether it's time or financially or just of herself. But if it's like an unplanned act of giving, uh, she does everything she can to avoid that. <laughs> it's, just, it's just difficult for her. For some, just, she, she, doesn't want, uh, she doesn't want to be caught off guard, um, even though she loves to give. Uh, she doesn't want to be caught off guard, so she tries to avoid the situation where she would have to do that. Uh, and it was sort of like a surprise. Uh, another one, I think this is, again, appropriate things, but God brings us into these situations, is a lot of people like to avoid being lonely. It's a, it's a difficult, it's a, it's a difficult thing when we, when we, when we feel lonely. Maybe we, maybe we feel alone, maybe we are lonely, maybe we're not close or intimate with someone. Maybe we just don't think that anyone really knows us well. So, so we do things to, to avoid feeling lonely. And this is, a, this is a difficult and real situation. And sometimes we're in circumstances where we can't avoid that. But we, but we want so desperately to avoid those things. Um, again, I'm, I'm, I have people flashing in my mind as I, as I think through some of these things. Some of us avoid the monotonous. <laughs> Abraham gave me some eyebrows. We, we, avoid, we, we, we also avoid uh, just being uncomfortable. Like we look forward to like the next exciting thing. We, we put a lot of hope in whatever it is that's going to be uh, uh, an experience of something that's just something I enjoy. And if, if I can just pursue whatever that is, then I, I can avoid sort of the monotony. I, I, can, I can avoid maybe even just the discomfort of, of regular life. So I do things to, to avoid that at all costs. Um, another one is conflict. A lot of us like to avoid conflict. We, we, maybe we see something on the horizon and and we, we see it coming because we're looking at all the different pictures and pieces and we kind of see these two trains like slowly coming together. Uh, and conflict is really uncomfortable. When we're in conflict, but we do what we can to, to avoid conflict. And so we see it coming. There's a lot of times when we want to avoid that, we're, 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 we're doing whatever we can to sort of keep that from happening. And, it, and, it, and, it, and it, we want to flee that situation. We want to avoid those things. Uh, and here's, here's sort of my last one. Some of us avoid just hard feelings and emotions. Like, like things are hard. And to stop and to pause and to consider difficult things, a lot of us want to, want to avoid that. Whether it's a, maybe it's a, maybe you're in a position where, where, you, where, you're, where you're doing something without a lot of support. Maybe you have uh, people you respect who have disappointed you and you just kind of, kind of moving on, but, but a lot of times it's really hard to just stop and consider how you feel about something. 
so we avoid that. I mean, there's a lot of things we can do to sort of avoid dealing with emotions and dealing with sort of hard things that, that we go through. So we're, there's all these different situations. And I think as we, as we look at the psalm, this is coming from verse 1 where he says, In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? How can you say to my soul, flee, avoid, run away, go to your safe space? How can you say to my soul, and he, he says my soul because this is a, this is a situation. What, we don't know what situation this is. Um, some people think that maybe this is David in Saul's courts when, he's, when he was serving Saul. There was a point where Saul like literally tried to spear him and kill him. And I, you could see like his friends being like, hey, David, maybe, maybe this isn't the best place for you to serve. <laughs> you remember how they tried to kill you yesterday? <laughs> um, so that, that it's a, it fits the situation. But, but he was faithful. And up until it was nearly impossible for him to live, he served Saul when Saul was a pretty crazy and trying to kill him when he was the king. Um, so he was in a situation that was very difficult and he didn't flee. And he starts by saying, how can you say to my soul? He's like my innermost being. How can you tell me to that whoever you are, you, you, must be, you must know the situation well enough. You must be personal enough that you speak to the, the deepest part of me. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? Flee like a bird. And I think about, I think about birds, and, and the first thing that comes to mind is like the geese that are on the trail that never get out of the way. So it's not the best example. But we had a parakeet growing up named Yoshi, which is like the most perfect parakeet name. It's like a blue and green little parakeet. And you had to like approach him very carefully. <laughs> like he would be in his cage, and he would come out, and if he was comfortable with you, like hang out on your shoulder. And he also le learned fun words, and he learned words that we said a lot that we didn't teach him. Uh, and one of those was, my brother's name was Dustin. The bird just learned, Dustin, shut the door. <laughs> so, so, like we didn't, yeah, he just, we had to say that so much, the bird just learned it. Uh, but we, we would, you would, you would have to, I remember my mom is like the, uh, the animal like whisperer of like any animal we've ever had has been like the most well-behaved, like best animal, cat, dog, bird, whatever. And you would put your, hand up to the bird, and you have to be like, okay, don't do open hand, because it, like, freaks them out, and you have to be really careful, and you got to, like, put it up close enough, and then they can come over to you and, like, get on, on you, but if you, like, flinch, if you approach it the wrong way, the bird just, like, freaks out and flies off, and apparently, you have to be careful with parakeets, because they can, like, die of a heart attack if you, like, scare of them too much, like, that's a real thing, and so the bird would would flee to his mountain. And his mountain just happened to be like the fan when it was not on, you know, like that's where it would, it would be like, I'm safe up here. So, so David is in this situation. David is in this situation where he's saying, there's a circumstance that's speaking really deeply to who I very am. And it's saying, how can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? Flee like a bird. So what's the, what do we know about this circumstance that he's in? We don't know, you know, exactly what it is, but if we, if we go on and we look at, we look at verse two, it gives us, we get a, a little bit of an idea. And I think there's, in two and three, I think there's, this, this is probably about the most broad thing. If I could broaden what we like to avoid, 
We like to avoid when bad things happen, and we like to avoid when good things don't. We like to avoid when bad things happen, and we like to avoid when good things don't. Those are, those are kind of two broad summaries of, of situations that we like to avoid. And that's kind of what he says. In verse 2, he says, For behold, the wicked bend the bow. It's like they're ready for battle. They're, they're out to get you. They have fitted their arrow to the string. So it's this idea that, that there isn't impending attack. There is like an arrow that's like pulled back and it's ready. The, the, the wicked are there out to get you. They're, they're, uh, as Paul would say, we, we fight against the principalities and the powers of the air. They're evil forces that are out to cause destruction. Our, our, our ultimate enemy wants sin to just reign and wants us to, wants us to be inconsiderate, wants us to, to suffer at the hands of the, the sins of each other, Do, doesn't want us to be united. So in a, in a very real sense, Satan has bent the bow. The, the, the arrow is there. there. There's attacks that are coming, which is you even get the imagery when you put on the shield of faith to stop the, the flaming darts of the devil. Paul sort of picks up on some of this imagery. And it says to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. So it's like it doesn't even matter like where you're shooting at as long as anyone who's trying to do the right thing gets hit. So, that, so that this is just an image of like these are, are bad things that happen. He's saying flee like a bird, run away, avoid this situation. This is a painful, difficult situation that you're gonna have to walk into. Just run, just run. The second, second thing that I think maybe resonates more with me is he says, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? What about the good things? What about the foundational elements of what should happen? If that's not happening and in, in, in you're, in you're, you're even trying to do the right thing, but just basic, good, true, and righteous foundational things are not happening, what can you do? It's like, how can, you, how can you say to my soul, flee like a bird when bad things happen, when foundational, good, and true things just aren't even there, and you're trying to do what's right? That isn't going to work. Run. He's, they're saying, run away. Avoid it. Don't deal with it. And I, and I think about our, our values that, that we talked about. We've, we value inward and outward love. That's a foundational thing. And, and so much of the situations we avoid is when that inward foundational element of what it means to be a Christian breaks down. What happens when you're in a marriage and there isn't love between one another? What happens when someone you love, a friend, offends you and, there, and there's sin involved in that situation? And, and outward love, it's a, it's a foundational thing. It's we, we, should, we should look like Christ to our neighbors, to the, the people around us. What happens when basic things like that break down? But we... we we value word centrality. It's a foundational thing. What happens if people you're interacting with, situations you're in, could care less about what Scripture says? What happens when you're in situations where maybe you believe basic things about what God's Word says, foundational, important things aren't happening? What can the righteous do if the foundations are destroyed? We value gospel beauty because we, we see that as a, as a foundational element to who we are, we, we should see Jesus as beautiful. 
We should be attracted to him. We should be drawn to who he is. What happens when that isn't the case? What happens when you see people who are drawn to things less than Christ? What happens when you stumble into things because you're drawn to something less than Christ? He says, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? People are out to get you. There is sin. And basic foundational elements about how we should do life are not happening. Run away. Avoid that situation. What's interesting about this first section is there's confidence here and I skimmed over it, or I skipped it, I think, altogether. But verse one says, in the Lord I take refuge. In the Lord I take refuge. So, so David is actually bringing up circumstances that we flee, that we avoid, whether it's good things that don't happen or, or bad things that do. He's, he's bringing that up as someone telling him that. But he's speaking with confidence here. He's saying, in the Lord I take refuge. How can you say this to me? You're bringing up things that are actually happening, but, but that's ridiculous. How can you say this when in the Lord I take refuge? How can you tempt me to flee when I have to deal with these difficult circumstances when it's God himself that I take refuge in? And I think that's an encouraging part of the, of the psalm is it's not just about the circumstances we flee. It's about the God that grounds us. It's about God himself grounding us. So we deal with situations that are difficult, that maybe bad things are happening and the good things are happening the way they should. We're grounded in God himself. Amen. And so we get a handful of truths about God. We get, uh, we get the reality of God in these next few verses. We get the activity of God and the outcome of God. We get the reality, the activity, and the outcome. Look at what he says in, in verse four. The Lord is in his holy temple. And I'm gonna stop right there. The Lord is in his holy temple. Anyone that's reading through their Bible plans, when is the temple built? Before or after David? After, yeah, his son builds it, Solomon. It's the Lord is in his holy temple. And it's fascinating, Hebrews picks up on this. Moses designed the tabernacle, which eventually led to the temple that isn't built yet in this particular psalm. And in the book of Hebrews, it actually says that the tabernacle was built after the pattern of what Moses saw in heaven. The tabernacle was built after a pattern, the ultimate temple, the very dwelling place of God in the heavenly places. The, the real temple today where Jesus himself is interceding for us in the very presence of God. The Lord is in his holy temple. He's talking about the reality that there is a, there's something beyond, there's something greater, there's something, if we were to peel back what we see around us, there's, there's this heavenly reality that supersedes everything that's going on in the world today. 
that supersedes all of these circumstances that you're telling me to flee. And he says, the Lord is, and he kind of, he kind of reiterates this when he says the Lord's throne is in heaven. He's talking about the heavenly throne. He's talking about the heavenly temple. This is, as, as we talk about the, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, Jesus was sacrificed outside of this heavenly temple. And he resurrected into the presence of God. And now he's taken that acceptable sacrifice that was a goat in the, in the Old Testament on the Day of Atonement that they sacrificed outside the temple and then they brought into the holy of holies. They brought in the holy place to, to, to appease or atone for the sin of the people. But now Jesus, isn't, Jesus doesn't get brought into the, that, that weak earthly temple where the, the curtain is torn. He's killed outside of the heavenly temple and he's raised up again and he's in the heavenly places and it's now he's offered himself as a living sacrifice is the true sacrifice that's better than the blood of bulls and goats, is the, the sacrifice that reconciles us with the Lord. He's saying, I know that the foundations are destroyed, the things that look like, like they're, they're, the basic things that, that, that are good, that are true, they're, they're falling apart, I see it around me. I, I know that there's evil out there, but the reality of God, the reality of God is that he is on his heavenly throne and that supersedes everything and anything we could possibly imagine in this world. The reality is that God has given us salvation through his temple. The, the sacrifice has happened. Jesus is resurrected from the dead. And this is why Paul in Acts, or Peter in Acts, called David is a prophet. He's speaking of the things to come. He's speaking of what Jesus would do. And that's why the, the title of our sermon series is Christ in the Psalms. And the reality of God is that the heavenly reality, the, the, the heavenly throne, the heavenly temple is ultimately what grounds us. It's the reality of God. So that we could say like David, I can see the things crumbling around me that I wanna flee from, but none of these things affect the heavenly reality. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird, if it's in the Lord, I take refuge in his heavenly throne, in his heavenly temple. And he doesn't stop there. He talks about the activity of God. God isn't just on this heavenly throne. Jesus isn't sitting in the heavenly places waiting to be involved in what's going on in our lives. We're not, we're not like, well, Jesus is thousands of years of just hanging out, waiting to come back and do something. Jesus is actively ruling and reigning on his throne. He's making every enemy his footstool. Look what it says in verse four. He says, his eyes see, his eyelids test the children of men. His eyes see, his eyelids test. And that there's some kind of debate on what that means. It could be like his eyes see and so do his eyelids. So there's like, he's always seeing. He's always examining and, and sort of involved in what's going on in the world. Uh, uh, you could also say his eyes see, and this idea of testing is like examining. It could be like when, you're, when you squint a little bit and you're just trying to, you're really paying attention to what's going on. You're super focused in on what it is. So either way, he's saying, look, God is actively seeing and involved in everything that's going on in the world. And he doesn't just stop with examining it says, the Lord tests the righteous in verse five. It says, he, he's, he's examining our deeds. He's considering us, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. God is in his throne. He sees this. 
He sees the wicked things that happen. He sees the righteous foundations that, that are not established. And look at what he does. We get the results of God. It says, let him rain coals on the wicked, fire and sulfur and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. So he's actively involved in everything that's going on. He's paying attention. He's examining it. Even when his eyes are shut, he's seeing what's going on. And he's doing that because he has an outcome in mind. He has an outcome in mind. He sees the wickedness and he's going to destroy it. He is working against it. He sees the righteous deeds. He, he, he loves the righteous deeds that we do and he, and he draws us into his presence. It says, he, the upright shall behold his face. We'll, we, we will see him, like we said in 2 Corinthians, we'll behold his glory and we'll be transformed more and more into the image of Christ. And I think when we read this, the temptation is to say, okay, well, if I'm good, if I'm righteous, God will show himself to me. And over here, if I do bad things, he'll punish me. And, and if, we, if we take just a minute to think about ourselves, um, that's an uncomfortable place to be. We do bad things. Sometimes maybe we do good things, but a lot of times we do bad things. So how do we, how do we make sense of this? How can we read this psalm and with a straight face say, whew, Good, I'm not worried about the outcome there. Just gonna, God's going to reveal himself to me, the marvelous. I'm, I, um, I can call myself the righteous one. Ugh, makes me a little uncomfortable just saying that out loud to you guys. But it's, this is 1,000% true that God does punish the wicked and God does be, show himself to the righteous. So how do we end up in either one of those buckets? And we get the answer literally at the first verse of the psalm. Where does he take refuge? In the Lord. In the Lord. Paul picks up on this later in the New Testament, but you'll see this verbiage a ton. In the Lord, in the Lord, in the Lord, all through the psalms. This is, this is ultimately bringing us towards our, our union with Christ. This is ultimately bringing us to the fact that you and I are the righteous one united to Jesus himself. You, you and I do fail. There's, we're the reason why people have to flee sometimes. We're the reason why, why people are in situations they don't want to be in. We're, we're broken. But, but the reality is we take refuge from even ourselves in the Lord. We're united to him. He did perfectly obey. He, he perfectly loved God and neighbor, and he took the punishment for those of us who don't. And now he's resurrected in the presence of God and united to him. In the Lord, I can take refuge from my own failure and say, the Lord desires to show his face to me. The Lord desires to reveal himself to me. The Lord desires to give us the confidence that David had because he trusted in the, the, the reality of God so that there was a situation that was tempting him to flee down to his very soul. And he says, how can you even say that to me when in the Lord I take refuge? And I want to think about that. I want to kind of go back to these situations that we avoid. How can we believe who God is and what he's doing 
in the circumstances that we're called to face? And how can you and I say, if I'm in Christ, with the same level of confidence, I can say, how can you say to my soul, flee? How can you tell me to run away from this when I actually take, I take everything about who I am in the Lord? I'm trusting in who he is so I can actually deal with the situations that I don't, for the, if I could avoid them at all costs, I would avoid them. And I was thinking about, so I think, you know, if we're avoiding the lack of clarity in a situation, I feel like the good news is that Jesus is on his throne and everything is clear to him. He, he has eyes like the flame of fire. He sees the, the thoughts and intentions of everyone. And you know what he delights in my good deeds? Those good deeds include acknowledging that everything is not clear to me. He delights in that. I can humble myself and say, Lord, I'm in a circumstance that I don't really know how this is gonna work out. But how can I say to my soul, flee like a bird if in you I take refuge? If you can see everything perfectly, this is where I can stand. When someone we love or care about does something that's, that's inconsiderate and we're trying to sort of avoid the pain of that situation, you actually have a king you have a king that knows what it's like to be hurt by people he loves. You have a king who, who has suffered by the hands of his friends, who, who, who feels the pain of people who, who are close to you that hurt you. And now you have a king who is resurrected from the dead, who will never leave you or forsake you. Never. We don't have to avoid the pain when we take refuge in the Lord. We have a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Something unplanned comes up and God calls you to share your time or yourself or your, your money and you're trying to avoid the surprise. It's hard. It comes out of nowhere. Nothing is a surprise to him. This was a, a carefully orchestrated for you because he loves you, because you're in the Lord. He carefully orchestrated a particular circumstance and brought it to you that you may not have seen coming because he, he's working in your life to mold you and shape you and transform you more and more into the image of Christ. Whatever you gave up, whatever you sacrificed for this thing that just popped up out of nowhere is, is not any can't even compare to the beauty and the wonder that God is calling you to, to please him and enjoy his presence. And he's carefully brought you this circumstance out of the blue because he loves you and is working to draw you nearer to him. This is the beauty of a God who is on his throne, who is in his temple interceding for our behalf. And I think about being lonely. It's a difficult situation. It's painful. Maybe you're not physically alone, but you just don't feel like people know you. The whole idea of the temple is the presence of God. The whole idea of the temple is that you have God himself now through his spirit dwelling in you. 
We, we share in our union with Christ. We share in the reality of this heavenly temple. We're there with him. If we're seated with him at the right hand, we are also in the very presence of God in the temple of God. This is the beauty and the wonder and the, and the just miraculous nature of the Holy Spirit. And what he does is he dwells in us. He's, he, we are the temple of God. You, you can't be lonely if the creator of relationships is dwelling inside of you today. This is, the, this is the beauty of the gospel in these situations that we just want to flee from. Thinking about the monotony of life sometimes, just things we want to avoid. And it's easy because I've been in monotonous situations. I, I had a job once where I, all I did was clean rat cages for like eight hours. And I would dump the cage under a hood, scrape it, shake it and put it over here for eight more hours <laughs> and just repeat that situation over and over again. <laughs> it's painful. Monotony is difficult. And, and, it, and we, we often want to avoid those things. But we, have a, we, have a, we have a God who got to know us, who left the bosom of the Father, who spent 30-something years, the creator of the universe, grew up as a child, worked as a carpenter. Who, who knows how many monotonous things he did? He, he was in, 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 in heaven with the glory of the Father, and he, he took on some of that monotony so that he could bring about the new creation, so that, he could, so that he could bring us into an environment where there is nothing monotonous. There's only fullness of joy in the presence of God. The, the, the thing that we crave, the, the experience that we want, the, the vacation that we look forward to, whatever it is that we're looking forward to is actually just tiny little tastes of the new creation itself. And God is using even our monotony because we're united to him, because he loves you, because he's connected to you. He's using those things so you could value, so that you could love, so that you could appreciate the reality of the new creation which begins in the resurrection of Christ. This is, this is how you can say, in the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul I should avoid this situation? Because it's in the Lord I take refuge. I think um, dealing with, with, with difficult emotions, dealing with, with circumstances that we just don't want to wrestle with, because they're hard, that's a, that's a, tough, that's a tough thing we, we like to avoid. We don't have to deal with, with something if, if, it, if it brings pain, brings instability. It, it makes me feel uncomfortable. And it's hard for me not to think of the, the, the throne. Like this is, this is our creator ruling and reigning the, 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 with confidence in the heavenly places. This is why the Bible calls him king of kings. It's not a phrase we use very often. He's the, the president of presidents. He is the Lord over every Lord. This is why all of the suffering that happens in the New Testament, the Acts of the Apostles, the most common use, common name that they use for Jesus himself is Lord. He's in charge. He's ruling and reigning. He's bringing the suffering. He's orchestrating all these things. And he's a good king who loves us, is affectionate for us, and wants to be close to us. 
And we don't, when, when we deal with the difficult feelings and emotions that we have, we feel anything but stable. And if we look at the Lord, if we look at the confidence of his throne, the reality that nothing happens, a baby doesn't giggle or cry outside of the sovereign plan of God because he's sitting on his throne and he's orchestrating every single detail of our lives out exactly how he wants it to transform you into the image of Christ. We can deal with hard things. We can wrestle with our emotions. We can say, how can you say flee from these things if it's in the Lord himself I have my confidence in? This is the beauty and the wonder of the gospel. This is a, a psalm that, that's tempting David to just flee from whatever circumstance he's in. And he can start the psalm with confidence saying, how can you tell me that? How can you tell me to flee if it's in the Lord himself that I take my confidence in? It's a beautiful gift. It's something that we can dwell on, something we can consider, and something that we can wrestle with so that we can have the same confidence that David has. So we can deal with a difficult circumstance, a painfully close circumstance that strikes at my soul, and we can say, how can you say to my soul, flee, when it's in the Lord I take refuge? Let's pray. Father, I thank you I thank you that you present yourself in, in seven verses with so much truth that we often throughout the week, I wish I had it in the front of my mind. Lord, I, I'm shaken. I, I want to flee. I'm rattled. And yet you tell me about your heavenly throne. You tell me about the, the fact that you've atoned for my sin in Christ. You, you want to be present with me by your spirit. There's, there's so many wonderful, beautiful truths about what your son has accomplished, Lord. I pray that those things would, would resonate in our head. I pray that we would have confidence in the circumstances you put us in because we trust in you. Our refuge is in you. Use your spirit to remind us of those things, uh, even the rest of the today and just the difficult things we have to deal with and, and the rest of the week, Lord. Give us confidence in your gospel. In your name I pray, amen.